Not everything has to filter through you. Even if you're straddling that line between manager and implementer. As a manager, not every little thing needs to filter through you. Not every idea needs to come through you. Not everything needs your attention. Not, not even right? just not every little is. thing, but sometimes not even the big things need to run through you. Not even the big right? things. Exactly. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. So, terminology. This is a thing. <laughs> well, we knew this. Well, exactly, right? And, and for those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while, you're well acquainted with the importance of clear terminology and clear language. But perfect example, this is what the third time we've tried recording the start of this episode because we keep having terminology differences. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the most recent one was a call that we just got off of and I was a, a couple of minutes late to getting on. So Jill and the fellow she was speaking with had started talking about the beautiful shawl that she's wearing and she's saying it was hand woven. And he was talking, you know, oh, I didn't, you know, hand weaving, didn't know that was still a thing. And so you were talking about- Looms. Yeah, as in the weaving thing. Yeah, as in the weaving thing where you take the shuttle and yet you, you thread the thread back and forth. Yeah, that. Yeah. So Jill was telling me about this and he, she was like, yeah, I was surprised. He, did, he didn't know that looms were still a thing. And, and my, so here's the difference between the two of us, Team Jill and Team Brienne. <laughs> Team Jill is clearly into like the arts and crafts, like weaving and lapidary and pretty things. And Team Brienne is like logical systems technology because I was like, loom videos, like the, like loom.com. He didn't know that. How does he not know this is a thing? Like he's super into the online world. Like, so terminology, kind of a thing. To be fair, I am also into the technology stuff. I just happen to have an artistic side. There you go. And and actually, as you were talking about the loom, I was thinking a shuttle could mean something else too. Like a shuttle is not just a weaving tool. A shuttle could be like a shuttle bus or a space shuttle or... You really want to get into the intricacies of the English language and how much of a pain in the ass it is? I think probably we want to skip that if we have a hope of actually talking about what we mean to talk about on this episode, which does actually come into the topic of terminology, because today what we want to do is debrief the conversation that we had last week and that you would have heard if you listened to that episode with Jenny B about what it actually means to manage in a way that doesn't turn you into a dictatorial jerk. You joke about the dictatorial jerk thing, but it is it is this patronistic mentality that has come into play in traditional business that has been replicated and brought into online modern business because there is this thought that's the way, it's how it has been done and this is the way it has to be continued. and. That is so not the case. So many online business owners are the face of the business. The brand revolves around them. They are the face. They are the person that people want to buy from. They're the personality, right? We talk about mm -hmm. personality brands. And what that has set up is like, okay, initially I'm going to hire a VA. I'm going to hire some contractors to help me out, but I'm still the business, right? It's I'm still, still the one that... Exactly. So I've got these people that I'm delegating to. I've got helpers. And what that leads to is like they get to this point where they're growing and they've ended up being like the dictator who's trying to control what all of these other team members are doing. And that's the kind of managing that we don't want 
mm-hmm. as opposed to this idea of we've built a team of peers where we're all operating in our zones of genius and we're all like bringing what we have to the table. And that's such a different idea of what managing means. It's much more multiplicative than what I see in the traditional business model. When people are able to be in their zones of genius and they're able to then utilize that to support each other, it makes a world of difference compared to having something more siloed and more directive. Yeah, you talk about multiplicative, right? It's it's not me plus this other person. It's that's like team building by adding and subtracting. It's you know I have me, and then I'm going to subtract this off my plate, and I'm going to add it to someone else's. But what you're really talking about is taking my genius and your genius, and let's multiply them together to come up with something that we wouldn't have been able to come up. It's way beyond adding and subtracting. Yeah, exactly. We come up with something entirely new that does even better than it was before. And this is the concept for me in a lot of cases behind scalability in teams, because this is when you can start bringing on people and have exponential impact. And so I wanna take us to the conversation we had with Jenny and, and explore a little bit about what she shared in terms of how she has found managing to work for herself. And I thought it was so interesting because one of the reasons that we wanted to interview Jenny is that she has been both the person in charge, but she's also been the person on the team. And I wrote down this quote that she shared, which was her when she was in the position of being managed. And it was like, you get this sliver of hope that you're going to have some kind of control over some aspect of your professional life, and then they take it away from you. No power for you. And I thought, That was such a good representation of what the team member experience is of this dictatorial relationship that we've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And how much of a disappointment is it to have Mm -hmm. that sliver of hope and then have it being taken away and how demotivating it is for that person? One, I think that's so key, right? We want our team members to be able to do their best work. We want them to be able to bring their best selves. And it's so interesting when you look inside some of these businesses, these multi-seven-figure businesses that, you know, maybe you look up to them, maybe you look at them and think they've got it all together. And on the outside, they do. They've got it all together. Their sales and marketing and, and maybe even their client results look good from the outside. But when you start to peel back the layers, you learn that, you know, they're, they're struggling with turnover. They're losing team members all the time. They are paying too much for what they're getting. They're spending all of their time in the weeds. And these are businesses, like I said, that look like it. they've got it all together. And it's because their team members are having all of their opportunities taken away. And you know that's what Jenny was saying, right? Is like, I, I was being so disempowered that I had lots of ideas. And and she talked about what with the other team members, right? They had lots of ideas for how to improve the business, but they just gave up on sharing them. Because they didn't have the opportunity. They didn't have the space for it. In in some cases, it wasn't even so much that the the opportunity was taken away, but more that the space wasn't created for them in the first place. Like I, I remember one of the things that she referred to them saying was like, we hadn't wanted to bother you or we hadn't wanted to bother the visionary with Mm -hmm. these ideas because we know that you all are busy. Yeah. 
And now all of a sudden we're creating the space that allows them to bring that forward. It wasn't that it was taken away in the first place. It just wasn't created to begin with. And I think this is what's so important. People always ask there, you know, like, oh, I've, t- I've tried giving my team ownership. I've tried empowering them. I've tried doing all of these things and it hasn't worked, right? People aren't rising to the challenge. They're not stepping up and taking it to the next level. And what immediately my brain goes to is what did that empowerment look like? Mm -hmm. Did it look like you telling, okay, I'm empowering you to do this, which is just being dictatorial in a different way, right? Here's your project, go do it, you own it now, is just another form of delegation. That's not actually, as you're saying, Jill, creating space and there's no space for them to take up. There's no space for them to grow and bring those ideas forward. Yeah, exactly. And there's no safety in that space, right? I always think back to the research article. We've referred to it in in a number of different cases, but you probably remember some of the details more than I do with the children in the playground. This group of researchers took these children, they took them to two different playgrounds in an urban center. And the playgrounds were essentially the same, right? Same Same kinds of equipment, same level of repair in same shape and that kind of thing. And they watched how the children interacted with the playground equipment and with each other and with their environment. And there was one key difference between the two places. At the first location, the children stayed very close to the playground equipment. They didn't run around, they didn't play very much outside of that kind of area. And at the second location, they spent a lot of time running around and exploring the space and playing together outside of the equipment itself. And the key difference in there is that there was a set of fences that surrounded that second space. Yeah. And created the safe boundary. Exactly. And so I think that one thing I really heard from Jenny in the conversation was how she created that safe space. She talked about how she saw that managing was about empowering others. But even more than that, what I liked is how she said that her job as a manager was actually to put herself in a learning mindset. And I thought that was brilliant Mm -hmm. to not go in and be like, I have the answers, but instead to go to the team and say, I want to learn the answers from you. Yeah, exactly. Which allows them to then step into their power, step into their zone of genius and bring their authority forward, which can then be taken because like we're not Jackson Jills of all traits. We don't know everything. We can't. That's just not physically humanly possible. And we've had this conversation in season one about how you don't actually want to clone yourself for your team. You want to bring in different people with different skill sets and different zones of genius so that you can literally have this kind of engagement with them where they bring in these awesome ideas that you would never have thought. Well, and I I think there's a a literalness to this idea that can often get missed because so often we think that we're visionaries, therefore it's our job to come up with the ideas. And that's not true. Absolutely not. And in fact, in a lot of cases, if we hold on to that too tightly, we're actually creating more gaps than we're solving. Right. And it's like, the difference between vision and ideas, and I think this is where people get tripped up, is like you can have a vision for the business. You can have the big picture of this is where I want to go. This is what I want it to be like. The big 30,000 foot view. But the ideas for how you get there, that doesn't have to. You can certainly bring ideas, but if you're not spending as much, if not more time, getting your team to share their ideas, 
like you're not getting nearly the value you could have out of them. And if you're not allowing them to go and explore the ideas or don't allow them to be explored, no one yeah. can learn. If you just dismiss them out of hand, if you say, yeah, that makes sense, but I want to do it this way instead, right? There's an opportunity there that is being yeah. lost by not allowing that iteration to occur. When we talked in season one about this idea of the communications rhythm, we just we briefly touched on it when we were talking about cultural systems. And one of the things that comes up so often in the cultural rhythm that Jenny also talked about was having that conversation and saying, this is a big picture where we want to be this quarter, but what are your ideas? What are your projects? What are your inspirations for how to get there? Let's collaborate together to figure out what collectively we're going to work on and then you go make the plan and maybe I'll have some suggestions but it's your job you own it you have the idea you run with it and make it happen granted that's not to say that they as the owner have to do everything involved no. in the project there's a whole difference with that but yeah exactly yeah. so I think that was one of the big things the the first things that I took out of this conversation with Jenny that I really wanted to pull out was this idea that it's not just about saying you've empowered people, but about switching from it's my job to know what to do instead to being it's my job to learn what the team thinks that we could do and then really to remove the obstacles and to help them make that happen rather than it being that you're the one driving all of the things and all of the ideas. But the other thing that Jenny really emphasized was how critical it was to get the team working with each other instead of everything running through her. Not everything has to filter through you. Even if you're a player coach, even if you're straddling that line between manager and implementer, as a manager, not every little thing needs to filter through you. Not every idea needs to come through you. Not everything needs your attention. Not, not even if, just not every little is. thing, but sometimes not even the big things need to run through you. Not even the big right? things. Exactly. If if you think that, then you're still down an implementer mm -hmm. line. As a manager, we need to give you the space to have some of those decisions being made by your implementers underneath. And to do that, you need to give them the space to make those decisions together. Yeah. Because they're going to, again, coming back to that multiplicative aspect, they're going to talk to each other, they're going to multiply their geniuses, and they're going to be able then to bring you something as a shortlist mm -hmm rather than bringing you a big list of yeah. things. Well, and, and what's interesting about that, and again, this is where people sometimes don't take it as literally as I think they could and, and as Jenny expressed, which was, we talk about get the team to talk to each other. <laughs> how do you do that? And her solution and how she did this, at least at a surface level, was let's bring everyone into Slack. And let's actually have a place where they can talk to each other, right? The reason that the conversations are happening in silos is because there's no place for conversations to be happening as a team. And there's no place to, for conversations to be happening where you're not the one always there. You need to make that space, but you also need to make it consciously, right? It's not just enough to create the space and for some... and just to invite them in. You need to actually set the example, bring them in, tell them it's okay mm. to have those conversations that you want them to have the conversations with each yeah. other. So often employees, contractors, they don't want to step on yeah. your toes. They don't want to overstep themselves or to uh, push themselves onto you or onto others. They don't want to, as I described it before, they, I know you're busy, yeah. so 
I'll just hold on to my thoughts. I'll hold on to mm-hmm. my ideas. You need to actually give them that space and almost sometimes even coach them mm-hmm. into how to have the conversations with each other. And there was times I remember when I was doing managing back in, in our previous lifestyle, our previous incarnation. And there were times when I would actually have my team coming to me when I first started managing with them. They would come to me and they would bring me all of these things and I'd be like, okay, so what did the rest of the team yeah. think? And they'd have this pause and you could see them thinking in the head. They're like, yeah. And so there's that pause. It's like, okay, I'm thrilled that you brought it to me, but go talk to your team yeah. about it. Work this out a little bit more amongst yourselves and get their ideas, get their input. Just as much as if we have to do that as leaders and we have to be asking our team for ideas, our team should be asking each other ideas and, and they should be battle testing ideas and projects and all of this stuff themselves as well to get back to that multiplied genius idea where it's not just one person's idea, it's three or four people all brought their magic to this. Like, we're going through this right now with our team. I'm not the one who's coming up with ideas. My job is actually to facilitate and curate those ideas but y'all are the ones who are feeding me and helping make this better. I, I want to emphasize something there. Facilitate and mm-hmm. curate, not play television. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing that ends up happening when we're not encouraging them to speak to each other. They come to us, they give us their ideas, we filter it out to the group. But it's way better coming from the horse's mouth. There was one other thing, though, that Jenny talked about in terms of getting the team talking to each other. And it was so powerful, again, to realize this is how things default if we don't intentionally change it. And she made this comment that the team couldn't matter to each other because they didn't even know who the other people were, except maybe by first name. But what Jenny's solution was, was to let's get these people to care about each other as people. That was basically two things that she did. The first thing is that she had to care about them as people. And I want to talk about the, she shared a little bit about the first conversation she had with each team member. And I want to dig into that because I know that's something you work with our clients on. And this kind of comes back to that communications rhythm, which I think we touched on really briefly in season one, where one of the pieces that you do as part of your communications rhythm is you have a regularly scheduled, usually bi-weekly, sometimes twice monthly, it really depends, time period of around a half an hour where you sit down and you just talk with the person as a human. But the point of this conversation is not for you as the manager, as the supervisor, as the visionary to drive it. The point is for them to drive it and to bring forward anything they want to talk about. So when I used to do this with my team previously, and even when I do it now, there was one fellow that we spent usually half the time talking about his wife and the things and the challenges she was going through because she worked as an accountant in a very traditional accounting firm. And when tax season came, she was working like 14, 16 hours a day and how much of a strain that was on her, on him and all of those things. And that gave us the opportunity to connect as humans. and to learn but about the question I have for you is that takes a lot of trust for someone to be willing to share that. And so if you haven't had that relationship with your team member, when Jenny first came to you and wanted to work on this and wanted to build those relationships, you gave her some specific coaching guidance around what that first conversation should and could look like to even start opening that up as, hey, let's talk as people, not just as like boss and employee setting that safe space of okay this is 
a time and space for you to talk to me about whatever's going on in your life. I know that right now, we might not know each other really well. I want to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know what's going on. I want to know what you like and what you don't like and whatever you're comfortable sharing with me. Over the course of time, you know, we may choose or you may choose to share more things that you didn't in the past. And that's great. But I want to know you as a person so that I can better support you as we work together and as we continue to move forward together. And I think it's important to know that not everyone's going to respond to that. Not everyone's no. going to take that and really, oh yeah, I've been waiting for someone to ask about me. And, and I know you've had <laughs> team members like that. And we've been those people in certain situations where it's like, I don't really know you. What I found, and, and this is what Jenny did really well and, and what she shared in her interview was that she really focused on bridging the gap between the business and the person. So she didn't go right in and like start asking them about their personal life. The first questions that she was asking was about their personal opinion on the business, right? So it was, I want to hear your personal thoughts, which is for a lot of people, that's vulnerable enough to share their actual opinion about what's working and not working in the business. And I thought that was such a great example of overcoming reticence with individuals is don't go right into like, I want to learn everything about you as a person, but to go with that learner mindset and say, hey, what is your opinion? What are you seeing in terms of the business? That can create so much trust to start that then makes those subsequent conversations of, hey, what'd you do this weekend? You know, how's your family? Those kind of things can happen much more naturally. Absolutely. You don't want to dive in and ask all the little nitty gritty details of their life in the very first meeting, right? It's more about setting the space of this is a safe space. This is a no judgment zone. And, you know, feel free to tell me as much as you're comfortable mm -hmm. with. And then going into, yes, some of those lighter, as you said, bridging the gap, or as Jenny said, bridging the gap conversations mm -hmm. that can then lead into building up that relationship. Yeah. Again, it's such a different perspective because most people think that managing is, well, I have to judge my team, right? Are they doing it right? Are they doing it well? I have to, like, that. that's what we think managing is. Well, that's where the whole concept around performance management being like this kind of hammer, again, in traditional business of, okay, it's time for your performance review. Yeah, with I'm going to slam down you. on you and, and tell you all the things you're doing wrong and or, or you made a mistake and I have to come in and tell you that you screwed up and like none of that is necessary. And I think ultimately removing judgment from the equation is really mm -hmm. important. And removing judgment doesn't mean that you're not able to be an effective manager or leader. And the other thing that's really key here, and, and Jenny touched on this as well in her interview, and it's something I've talked about with our clients, our other clients as well, is that there's the one-on-one -on -one aspect, which we're just talking about here. But there's the larger team aspect as well, where it's actually, again, about creating that space and leading by example in that. So. A good example of this is, she didn't mention it on the interview, but they at one point had a Hawaiian shirt day. Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, that's right. right. I remember that. Yeah. The whole team had a Hawaiian shirt day. She created space for them to do fun things mm -hmm. together. I used to take my team for coffee because we all met physically in my previous role. And 
we would all go for coffee and we'd talk about what movies yeah. we had seen. Giving that opportunity to set that intention that it's okay to get together and just talk. Well, and that's part of what we do, talking about this communications rhythm and talking about getting the team to talk to each other and being able to know each other and not just having it be that I know them, but like they know each other. And so many people, if they're doing team meetings at all, which many people aren't, but if they're having team meetings, it's more like memos that could have been sent by email because it's like, I'm going to sit down I'm going to tell you all the things when the truth is that an effective team meeting structure starts with just some time to share as people, you know, what did you do this weekend? What are you proud of? And that can be personally, professionally, we with our team. And when we're working with our clients on this is what was the best thing that happened to you personally, professionally this last week? Like, what can we celebrate with you? And sometimes that's, I got this big project done and it was felt so good to get it done. And sometimes it's, I closed on a house and that was amazing. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you need to create the space for that engagement as people, as human beings to care about each other, to know something about each other. And then similarly, as you transition into the maybe more business focused part of the team meeting, it's not you coming with the decisions made. It's not you coming with the, these are the ideas, how are we going to do this? Or looking at projects saying, oh, where is this? Where is that? It's not about you project managing. It's about the team saying, this is what's working. This is what I need to talk about. This is where we're at. And really creating this collaborative environment where, again, your job is to be the learner and the facilitator, not the dictator. Now, I know that there's probably some of you out there that are listening to this and going, well, if we do that, aren't we just encouraging them to waste time? (laughs) Or they're not going to be doing their work. They're going to become less efficient. They're, they're going to come to work and think it's just about socializing than about doing work. And I hear you. And here is where having the culture embedded into your company of the purpose, the vision, the mission of what it is that you do and why it's important is so uh-huh. key. And because what ends up happening is if you find people that are fired up about that mission the same as you are, they're going to want to keep working at all of uh-huh. this stuff. All we're doing is just making it easier for them to enjoy working and therefore be actually more efficient because they're actually looking forward to one it. of the and the opportunity to be one there. of the metrics that uh, it was from the book 12 the elements of great managing but we've adopted it in terms of doing uh, team alignment scores with our clients to see you know how is your team functioning how aligned are they with each other and with the vision and mission of the business but one of the questions is do i feel like i have a best friend at work that's what actually from research one of the indicators of that you've created a productive effective efficient workplace is do i have a best friend at work has someone checked in with me personally as a person in the last week these are all things that to go back to where we started this conversation it creates empowerment because you know that your voice matters. All of these things are coming back to this whole concept of what does managing actually look like and what does it actually mean to manage a team and not just manage a team, but to set up a managing philosophy within our culture and to define Yeah, what does managing mean to you? What does it mean for your business? Because you're not going to be the person managing, at least ideally, you know, if you're moving up that visionary pyramid, you shouldn't (laughs) be the one doing all the managing, but you want to make sure that whoever comes in is going to be taking the same kind of approach because 
you know, we talk about the, the framework, right? If you want a team that is super profitable, you need a culture that empowers and creates efficiency. And that starts by really knowing your people as people and really looking at what can you, dear team member, bring to the table? What can I learn from you that's going to make this better? And therefore, then not just what can I learn from you, but what can I then turn around and reflect back Mm -hmm. into the team and reflect back into the business? that I learned from you and build from which is such a great segue into what our next episode is going to be about because one of the things that is so important in this whole dynamic of getting your team to take ownership getting your team to be empowered it's what is your role and what are you not going to focus on what's your new job description what's your focus and I'm super excited for people to be able to listen to that conversation because I really want you to think about what is my next job going to be? Am I going to have a job description that's more like Jill's? Am I going to have a job description that's more like Brianne's? And really try and figure out for yourself, what do you want your job to be? Maybe you've got a job that feels like Jenny's, right? What do you want your job to be? Because it's when you promote yourself into that, that you create the space for your team to really rise to the occasion. And so that's what's coming up on the next episode of the Visionary CEO podcast. I can't wait for you all to download and listen to it and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag Visionary CEO Podcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey there, it's Jill. We just wanted to take a moment to let you know that everything we've been talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with our clients in the Visionary CEO Academy. Our programs and masterminds are some of the most advanced business leadership opportunities out there and are designed specifically to help strategists, coaches, and other online business owners like yourself scale your business to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, by keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more information and to get started. Can't wait to see you there.